Hi, and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. Stephen, in thinking about this episode, there are many spaces where we are talking about deconstruction. And one of the reasons I really wanted to have this conversation with Kenneth was because he was bringing a different narrative and a way to reframe the discussion. And what I really liked was the way that he named this process when we're changing and rethinking, he named it as an act of love towards ourselves. And I also think that that then becomes an act of love towards others. Yeah, and for me, he tells some stories about how he has really embodied that love of the other as he talks about going and spending time and serving and living alongside and loving the HIV community. And that is a place that many of us, I think, would probably want to avoid. And so I was really inspired by the way he has embodied that love that he talks about so clearly in this episode. Kenneth, welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. And I got to know you through my brother when you studied with him at Laidlaw. And I've enjoyed getting to know you over the years. And you've got quite a story of what you've done in your life. And so I just wonder if you would uh, let our listeners know a little bit about you and your journey to date. Oh, thanks, Kathy and Steve. Um, yeah, so I, I have been on a journey. I'm currently living in Dunedin. Uh, I have one wife and two grown-up children, and uh, they are wonderful. I love love my wife and my kids. And yeah, since uh, since I first met you, I have been on a journey. We I went to Bible college really because I was doing a lot of youth work in Dunedin, working for Scripture Union and Youth for Christ, and I was really trying to work out how is this faith relevant to young people. Uh, and and how do I make the Bible tangible and uh, fit it into their lives and their sphere to make it meaningful and useful? Mm. So that was back in 2005. And uh, since then, I ha- I've done a number of things. Worked uh, in Thailand doing an HIV uh, program that we set up, uh, set up a foundation and then founded a, a project called Project Radical Grace. Wow. Um, I left there in 2015, and then I've been back in New Zealand, uh, been back working in ICU. My background is, is I'm a nurse. Um, I worked as an ICU nurse, a flight nurse. Uh, then I was a nurse director. It's, and for the last four years, I've uh, been on a sabbatical. It was supposed to be a year, but it's sort of I'm pretty slow with things, and I'm now currently working for a medical company, and uh, I, I have uh, been installing medical equipment, especially over COVID ventilators mm. and and patient monitors throughout the country. So that's me. Well, your your work in in Thailand sounds really amazing and intense and significant. Could you tell us a little bit about how, how that experience has, has shaped you and, and your your thoughts and, and a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I ended up going to Thailand with a Christian mission agency called SAM, and I had previous to that 
I'd written a thesis on cross-cultural gaps in HIV care. Hmm. And one of the reasons that I ended up focusing on HIV is when I was at Bible college, I was starting to understand more and more about how God functioned in the world. God was a God of love and a God of justice. And then I started to look at, as a nurse, where I could work in the world. And I realized everywhere I was going, there was going to be a significant influence via the HIV virus. Hmm. And then when I started looking at how the church was engaging with that, I found that there was uh, not so much love and not a lot of justice. And so that compelled me to explore that. And then when I started looking at some of the problems with uh, development and mission overseas, I saw that the problems that were identified were white Western male Christendom. Hmm. Um, and then I looked in the mirror and hmm. went, oh, crap. I actually said something nasty, but this is a podcast, so I better not say that. <laughs> um, and so my whole goal of going to Thailand was not to be like the Poisonwood Bible, mm. but to go and see what questions the local people had, come alongside and find out how together we could find solutions for the local challenges. Mm. Um, and so I did that over the first couple of years. I uh, learned Thai, which was a huge challenge for me because I tone deaf and dyslexic and hardly can read English. So um, it was a challenge, but every day I found uh, joy and beauty in Thailand. And I think in many ways I was born again in Thailand. I learned Mm. a new God, uh, a God who was bigger and uh, a God who cared about the little people in life. And that transformed me. I worked a lot in different areas of sexuality, with sex workers and young people in prison. And every time they amazed me. And I learned about who God was and who Jesus is uh, mm. through that experience. So I came back to New Zealand in 2015. And the project that I uh, was part of setting up has been going. And now it's been going 10 years, um, oh. 11 years now, actually. And it's it's just a beautiful thing to see something that was birthed out of people joining together, continuing on after I left. And so what was it like to have that experience and then come back to New Zealand? Where did you find yourself? It was a, a challenge to come back uh, into New Zealand society. I, my personality is kind of like 120% when I'm all committed, I'm fully in. And therefore I found a lot of a lot of my cultural knowledge for New Zealand had uh, dwindled a little bit and it took me a while to settle in and know how to, I mean, I remember even going to like Burger King and not knowing how to order and, and uh, just looked at this massive board and thinking, I don't know what I want or how to order and how do I pay? <laughs> so there was those things, but also the transition from being in a full-time ministry position back into New Zealand where I lost some of my own identity actually from mm. being a uh, somebody who identified as a missionary that took me a very long time to actually say I was and then when I lost it I felt like I'd lost a little bit of myself in mm. that role yeah so it, it, 
it was hard tr- transitioning back into New Zealand. And, and I had come, I think one of my Old Testament professors once said, you know, when you meet with God, you will change, for that is the very nature of God. <laughs> and as as I had met with God in Thailand, I had changed. And coming back in, fitting back into the life I'd le- left, somewhat 11 years before that, I was different. And I didn't quite know how to be, just be. I couldn't, it took me, well, I'm still trying to work that out. Mm. So you mentioned God being bigger, yeah, experiencing God who is bigger in, in Thailand. What, can you unpack that a little bit? What, is, what does that mean for you? Uh, I think learning about God in another language um, <laughs> helps you sort of, once you start looking at God and, and trying to fully understand a meaning of a different, a different word, uh, that just means that you're, you're paying more attention to the characteristics, the way God is, and then seeing um, probably if if you made me, and I hope you don't, but if you made me use one word to describe the divine, I would bring that to love. Mm-hmm. And wh- when I was in Thailand, that is what I experienced, both through the people that I got to know and the learnings that I had and seeing the transformation of people when they moved from limited or uh, stunted understanding of the issues of HIV and and what it meant to be living in a community and loving uh, just because everybody has the divine dignity that God has given us Mm -hmm. Um, and seeing that work its way out. So that's probably what uh, transformed me. And then I came back to New Zealand. Yes, I was going to say, you came back to New Zealand. And you you talked about having a sabbatical, and that sabbatical has gone on for quite a while. So I'm wondering, when you came back, what happened that has maybe led you to that place of of this sabbatical? What's been that process for you? Yeah, I I think it was really trying to find my identity again. I was a missionary, I had dreadlocks, I had multiple people engaging with our lives that we were responsible to, both financially and spiritually. I had a title, had a role, and then from that I I went on uh, and I became an associate nurse director, and that had a title and a role and responsibility. And I really just struggled to work out how I could live my faith in a practical, tangible way. And so all of those layers started peeling off. Mm-hmm. And I worked in a, an environment where I I struggled to uh, achieve the things that were necessary for a healthy health system. And I was being bullied. And all of those things sort of whittled me down into uh, a place of being very low and and uh, I s- struggled with um, with a deep sadness I struggled with anxiety and it was time for me to stop mm-hmm. yeah. and so so I did <laughs> and fortunately for me I have a very good friend who 
owns a business and he said, I'm real busy. I know you need a break. Come and work for me. Hmm. So that's what I'm doing now. One of the things I noticed when I came back to New Zealand was, well, there was two major things. One was nobody had any margin in their life. There was, everybody was time poor. And the second thing I, I noticed was very few people were interested in pastoral care, but everybody wanted soul care. Hmm. And I, I wanted to learn how to give good soul care without the baggage of religion, hmm. of soul care to become like me. One of the things I personally struggle with is I'm engaging with you. I'm friendly with you so that I can convert you to be like me. And I found that there's many people who are sad or lonely and they really are crying out for soul care. And I wanted to learn some tools to do that. So I, I've enrolled in a, a life coaching course or a spiritual direction course, and I've been doing that for the last two years. And that's been a wonderful way of me learning how to give soul care without the baggage of becoming like me. Hmm. One of the, the key aspects of spiritual direction is listening others into life. Hmm. And so when you're listening, you're actually not talking. And therefore, others can have the life that they know is within them, but they just can't sometimes find the words to articulate it, or they haven't got the confidence to step into it. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm just just taking the weight of what you've just said. You know this 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 thing that we think that we have to change people. It, it's a reoccurring theme that it isn't. It's about like you say, listening. We get changed, and then the other person discovers what is life giving in them. It just it sounds like what you say, love is. Yeah. As I reflect on the distinction that you're drawing between, I suppose, a more traditional pastoral care model to to soul care model, can you talk a little bit about the a little bit more about what the pastoral care model lacks and how perhaps what you're learning in, in the course that you're doing begins to serve that better? I think you know often it's experience that helps shape our way and. When I uh, was settling back into New Zealand, I was attending church and I had many questions and I was keen to explore what this meant in the New Zealand context. And often in small groups or in larger groups, I was asking questions and very quickly people were uh, saying, you shouldn't be asking those questions because you're a missionary, you should know. Hmm. Or... I, I remember once I, I'd just come across this amazing reinterpretation of a parable and it excited me. It was such a 
a challenge and it was edgy. And I remember sharing it with one of the church leaders. And then they spent the next 20 minutes saying how bad it was and how it was wrong. Mm. And they missed the fact that it was exciting me and it was the most sort of uplifting thing I'd experienced in a few weeks. And then I spent learning how it was wrong and I shouldn't, it, it was possibly corrupting the way I was thinking. Mm. So my experience of coming back to New Zealand, I was, I was also exploring what it was like to do mission or community or just live community or just live in the community, which I think all three of those are the same thing. And I was misunderstood by the corporate church going, actually, you're, you're not playing within the rules. Hmm. And so that those things of not being able to ask questions, if I had excitement or new explorations of how, how I could understand God, those were closed down and turned around sort of probably motivated me to learn how can I help others feel loved and accepted if they are asking questions within the church or if they are asking the deep fundamental questions of their faith, where can they do that? And is there a safe place to do that? Yeah. Mm. At the same time, people who have no faith, how can they experience the love that I acknowledge is in the world and is centers the world for me? Mm. Mm. It sounds like that experience was quite isolating and quite a feeling of being alone. You had all of these questions that you were so wanting to engage with and you didn't find the people or the space to do that with. Yeah, that does sound um, really difficult. And um, I was reading um, how you, you expressed it as quite exhausting because it adds a whole nother layer on top of what you're already experiencing and then you've got that over top. I think the last few years I have been with people, but at times I have been incredibly lonely. And I found one of the words I've used to describe my experience probably for the last 20 years is that I have been deconstructing my faith and sometimes fervently and other times uh, reluctantly. And there has been great times of loneliness because there hasn't in New Zealand, I really struggled to find a safe place to do that. And I have, I've listened to podcasts from overseas. I've read some books. Uh, I've listened to this podcast coming out of New Zealand by Kathy and Stephen. But um, <laughs> beyond, beyond that, there isn't a lot of safe places for people to discuss what's really going on. Mm. Now, I've been a Christian since I was 10 years old and I have I've seen a lot of people who have joined with the Christian faith and then fallen away and never coming back and I just find that's incredibly sad and then when I was in the midst of my deconstruction I kind of understood why because if they were asking the questions that I was asking then I suspect that often they felt more alienated and isolated if they asked the wrong person. Mm. Mm. It's so tragic that our churches can be such lonely places mm. and so isolating. So you've been on this journey of 
deconstructing for some time and you've written about it. And some of the things that you have written, this might be really good to to talk about some of this, these things because it can sound like it's a really bad thing. And we have all these connotations and language around it. And yet your experience is also that it has been also hopeful and that there's life in there. Can you maybe speak to some of this other way of understanding deconstruction? I've kind of defined, well, no, that's not quite true. I've been defined as somebody who's deconstructing. And that in itself has been a label that has had many negative connotations. Mm. I've tried to be as sensitive as I possibly can around not putting my processing on people who are clearly not willing to engage with me or have a conversation about it. But what it has meant is that often it's a very lonely place to be. And as I've reflected on that and worked with some of the directees that I'm working with as a spiritual director, I've really felt that people who are deconstructing or working through their faith that in itself is an act of love. Hmm. And I would love to reclaim the word deconstruction to being an act of love Hmm. because it's actually bloody hard. It's Hmm. really hard to look at the core of your being, depending on your personality type, but often you are your beliefs. Hmm. And then you start unpacking your beliefs, you, you lose your identity again and again. And then if you you really question, are you even a Christian? Mm. So this act of love holds it in a place where it's a good thing. Mm. And if, if that deconstruction continues for a long time or a short time, it still remains an act of love because you're thinking about what this means for you and your community and how you're engaging in the world. Yes. One of the things I did as I was exploring all this is I did atheism for Lent. <laughs> My kids were a bit tedious because if ever I said grace, they'd say, who are you saying grace to, Dad? Because aren't you an atheist? <laughs> <laughs> but during that time, I learned so much about people who say they're atheists. I grew up in a church that basically taught me that To be an atheist was somebody who was unthinking and unloving. And then I found out that these guys are way more thinking than I have been in my past and way more loving at times. And the 40 days taught me how to be a better person and how to love more and how to be accepting. (laughs) I have learned so much about love and hospitality and community from my neighbours in the street. And I think for the last seven years of of wrestling, often it's my neighbour or a work colleague that helps me process the deconstruction more so than the formal places of, of Christian worship. Can I just sort of pick up again what you were saying about the act of love? You know, because there's often this fear that we're backsliding. And we can put that whole other layer of criticism on ourselves or judgment. But that act of love is you loving yourself. And where is God? Well, I think God, in what you're saying, is in that. 
God is in love, and so God is present where you where you're at. Yeah, I think one of the beautiful things that I've picked up on is that deconstruction is not a new thing. Mm. It has been around for a very long time. Just, I mean, one of the favorite stories of mine was this fellow called Jesus walks up to this woman in the well in the middle of the day and totally deconstructs her view of the world, puts her back together, and she runs off and becomes the first missionary telling everybody Mm. about the person she just met. And that is Deconstruction 101. It's taking a part of these beliefs, these structures in our lives, these cultural norms, and putting them back into the place where they belong. So deconstruction has been, been happening ever since then. It's been continually. And I felt that as I've explored some ideas, they're not new ideas. I'd like to think that that was Kenneth was the first person to think of it. And then I find that for 300 centuries <laughs> or 300 years, a whole Christian movement had that belief and held that tension. So deconstruction is not new. And we try to avoid it within the church because of words like backsliding. Mm. But then when we look at God and when we think we start to understand God, we realize that's not God. Yeah. As while God is all-knowable, God remains mystery. Mm. Otherwise, it's not God. Mm. And it's, it's a different concept that we're looking at. So God is... Think God's okay about deconstruction. Mm. And I think too that we have this really strong fear of being unfaithful. And yet what you're describing is actually us being faithful to the story. And one of my um it's both challenging and and yet one of my favorite parts of Jesus's stories is when he talks about the bisti sayings. And there's five of them, you know, and he goes, but I um you you have heard it said, but I say to you. And he does just what you're saying, challenges the cultural norms and he disrupts everything that they took for granted and knew. And that's where, you know, the the famous one that we all know, you know, love your neighbor. You have heard it said, but I say to you, love your enemy. And so you're right. This journey that Jesus invites us into is all about being disrupted, (laughs) that the status quo is being turned up, the things that we take for granted. And what we need, like you said, is the safe spaces to go, this is okay. This is us being faithful. And boy, do we need each other for this journey to not be alone. And and like you said, to go, okay, let's do this together. Let's journey together. And that the journey is the important bit, which is what you're saying changes us so that we become more loving, not the so-called destination of we will have it all put back together. So that's so it's threaded in. You're right. It's it's been in our journey right from the beginning. So you have heard it said, deconstruction is bad. But I say to you, how can I come on the journey with you? That's it. That's brilliant. Yeah. Can you say that again? Because I think people really need to hear this. You have heard it said that deconstruction is bad. But we say to you, 
how can we come with you on the journey? Oh, amen. I just want to, um, this is a great conversation and there's so much we could talk about, but I, I just want to take some time maybe to, to say this idea of deconstruction. We can get to a point where we think maybe we're settled now and we've put things back together. Can we speak about that? Because I think that it's an ongoing journey. I think that it's maybe a rhythm and that there are seasons that we will keep coming back to rather than thinking, okay, we've, we've done the work. Your thoughts on this? Well, first off, one of my observations throughout the country has been both in the church and outside of the church, a lot of us don't want to grow or change. Hmm. It's too hard. Hmm. I found that when I was managing 240 people, personal growth is a hard thing to do. So those who are willing to do it or have been forced to do it because of some experience or some event in their life, they will learn the rhythm of development and change and it will become more natural. And they will come to the place where their experience will not only shape them, but it will help shape others. I like Lady Gaga, and I think, well, actually, I don't know if I do like Lady Gaga, but I think she's phenomenal. And she sang this song and says, until it happens to you, you will not understand. Until it happens to you, you cannot understand. And for me, that is the best modern description of incarnation that there is. Mm -hmm. I think that once the rhythm, and it is a rhythm of deconstruction, mm -hmm. of asking the deep questions, of experiencing God in all of the ways that we can, in nature, through community, in the scriptures, in conversations, then we will continue to grow and develop and we will become the elders that can lead others and journey with our young people. Mm. So I started by going to Bible college because I wanted to be a better youth worker. And I hope that I'm still on that journey because I still want to be a better youth worker. Hmm. I love that. Well, Kenneth, we're probably at the, the end of our time together, sadly. I, I wonder, as we, we finish, though, is there anything that you would like to say to either the listeners or perhaps to speak into a church space about what, but something we can do, something really practical that we can do going forward out of uh, having heard your voice, having heard your, your questions and something of your journey? Look, I, I don't know whether I are in the position to talk into the church. Hmm. One thing, it's an ancient AA saying of within AA, the best places to be is not on the inside and not on the outside, but to be the person in the doorway. Hmm. And I kind of hope that that's where I am. I'm not on the inside and I'm not on the outside, but I'm in the doorway welcoming people to come in and out and to be free within that. And so while I don't feel the right person to be speaking to the church. My hope is that we reduce the language of inside and outside of them and us 
Mm. And we can move to the place where we are a doorway of helping Mm. people journey through life. Mm. For those who are in the process of deconstructing, I just encourage you to find at least one person to work and walk with you. Don't do it alone Mm. um, because it's a lonely and hard place. One of the things um, the scriptures teach us is uh, don't give the pearls to swine because they will not see the value and they'll walk over there. If you are working in an act of love and deconstructing the way that you view the world and how you're working in it, then that is real pearls Mm. and only give it to people who will value it. Mm. Wow. Thank you. That's a beautiful blessing for mm. those listening. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's really great to uh, just hear again something of your, your journey and uh, thank you for the vulnerability that you have shared with. Thanks, Kenneth. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you. Or you've got thoughts about the Changes Ahead for the church. We'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram or Facebook at Changes Ahead Cast or email us at the Changes Ahead Podcast at gmail.com. See you next time. <laughs>